So last week we talked about how Christ did some things that are new. We're talking about buzzwords. And uh, I wanted to lead into today's message from the standpoint of how people viewed him. Uh, we we kind of talked a little bit about that and, and, and how they still do. And specifically that people can, don't think that you can do things the way that he did them. Well, I suppose that's true to a certain extent. You can't do things as good as Christ did them, and, and he had some special capabilities and, and talents and things that, that are not humanly possible. Uh, but we're going to look at a criticism that is related to a buzzword. If, if you're in a business, uh, a business environment, then you are familiar with this word. And you've heard it around, and it is called the word sustainable. Now, it's a perfectly fine word. It's used in various ways. We might talk, for example, we might talk about a, a person who doesn't have a lot of endurance in a race and, and they're not able to sustain their energy. Um, and and in, that, in that case, it's, it's fine. But, but what happens uh, in, the, in the business world is that this becomes an adjective uh, thrown on to a noun. And when, when that happens, uh, we change the nature of the word and it becomes a buzzword. And so sustainable energy in that sense becomes something much different. And um, we, let's first look at what the idea of sustainable is. Uh, sustainable is used around energy to refer to something that we see a near limitless supply of. So, for example, solar energy, with the sun's always there. Today it's not there, but, uh, but we understand the idea. Somewhere the sun is shining today. And, uh, or, or wind. We, it's not always windy, but, you know, there, there's a lot of wind energy, and it's not like it's going to ever, the wind's not going to ever stop. Uh, well, we just have no wind anymore. So, so we consider that a, a sustainable energy. Right? Uh, as a buzzword, the problem is, that, that people like this word, and, and so it gets used for lots of things that aren't even uh, that, that aren't even sustainable. So if we're talking about something that is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we expect that if we're using this word, it refers to something that there's a lot of. Let me give you a, a picture of something that there's not a ton of. I mean, you think it is uh, because there's Starbucks everywhere. Uh, but but here's a, a sustainable coffee. That's a kind of an odd idea, sustainable coffee, because since the majority of the coffee grown in the world comes from one country, Brazil. Uh, there's a, cu- a couple of other uh, countries. I think Vietnam produces a lot, and, um, and, and I can't remember which. Is it, is it Kenya? Maybe in Africa. Th- those three countries are the primary producers of coffee. So it is not sustainable in that sense. There's, but when I hear the word sustainable coffee, right? There's this. Um, there's. I'm supposed. It, it's a. It's a word aimed at a certain group of people, so that they will buy that product, and and, and they know who they're looking at. So when I hear that word, I'm not really supposed to get anything from that other than it's some kind of. Uh, holistically organic uh, artisan product. That, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do, and so therefore I'm supposed to pay money for this. In fact, uh, when we lived in Vermont, uh, we, we, I, I forget who was telling my wife or telling me this or whatever, uh, but if you threw the word uh, Green Mountain 
onto a product, you could charge almost twice the price for it. Um, just a strange thing. In fact, look, 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 one more detail. This word has a color associated with it, doesn't it? It's the color green. I don't know how green got associated with sustainable. Uh, coffee is brown. But <clears throat> it did. It got associated with that. Now, enough about that. Uh, because the model Christ established is viewed by many people as non-sustainable. We want to use that, that concept. Now, when we talk about people who view it that way, we're not talking about non-Christians. Because our general group of series that we're doing at the, to start this year has to do with the growth of the church and our visible faith as we express it to our community. Well, non-Christians really couldn't care less about how Christ conducted his ministry uh, until such point as they become interested in our faith. Uh, but but they're not, their criticisms of, of Christ aren't going to be, well, I think he had a non-sustainable model. They don't care about a model. They don't care about faith. What I'm talking about is Christians who show a hesitancy to buy into the model that Christ established because they don't view it as sustainable. And so we're going to look at some, some areas of this uh, today. Uh, things not, <clears throat> I'm not actually going to be talking about Christ today. We're going to be talking about the church. I'm going to go a little bit forward in time. If, if I were to look at where the church was successful at, where would I look? Well, of course, I would look at the point where the church was most successful. And, and right out of the gates, we see uh, large numbers of conversions. And so, so where, where I should turn to to look for guidance in a sustainable model, I would think that I would look there. So I want to talk about three words. There are three other buzzwords under this one concept that, that people talk about a lot. Uh, <clears throat> And, and these are going to have to do with, with how people today look at these things back then and say, well, I'm not sure. So let's talk about strategy. Strategy. And, and everyone has strategies. And, and companies are constantly coming up with, with new ways of trying to promote their product. And we've talked about this before. A lot of that has to do with doing old ideas. But I want to turn to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts in chapter 2. And we're going to be starting in verse 36. He says, Therefore let the house of Israel know that assuredly God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified, and he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So I want to stop <clears throat> right there and, and look at this, this model that the apostles were using uh, no, models that I'm sure they had gleaned from the, the from observing Christ, but but 
largely Christ said, don't think about what you're going to say. One of the things that, that I've done, and, and I encourage you, we're not going to, is to look through the book of Acts, especially just, just chapter 2, in fact, and, and subtract all the things that they say, even, just the, the, the actual the, the message. But look at the things they did that make uh, and, and attribute, or contribute to this successful growth. Now, there's a lot of there's dozens of things that you can point to from the from the way they were together constantly to the to the generosity to all these different things. There's, there's there's lots and lots and lots of things that they did to make the church a successful uh, a successful thing. Well. Um, as I said, we're not going to get into dozens of things. We're just going to look at, at a couple. Um, and so one of the things that, that people say, well, you can't do in church. And this is really common, in, in, in not even just in church, but in, in, any, in any type of uh, marketing thing. You want to really, uh, you, you don't want to be too direct. Well, here we have evidence that the apostles didn't agree with this and, and God doesn't agree with that uh, so in, in, uh, in any type of uh, confrontation type of a situation you would say well what you, what the way you should phrase things is have you ever thought of it this way or is it possible that, right? that that's the way you're supposed to do things to smoothly go into what a person needs to do? And, the, and, and Peter doesn't do that. He says, uh, you, like, you don't hear Peter saying, you know, maybe uh, you might want to consider <clears throat> the possibility that, that Jesus was God. That's just this you know, bear with me for a little bit. Jesus might have been God. And, and if that's the case, it's possible that, you know, maybe the crucifixion was possibly not the best thing that you could have done. You know, maybe there was a different thing you could have. Hey, no. He stands up and he says, listen, Jesus is God and you murdered him. That's pretty direct. And, and people don't just go away in droves. It's amazing. Uh, now, I don't think that the people today are any different than people back then. I think people back then probably didn't like to be called murderers. I, I assume that. And so what, why did these people not just reject this message out of hand? Well, because we look at that as a non-sustainable thing because of our culture. But God says, no, that's, that's quite sustainable. That's going to work. If you tell people their spiritual condition, it's going to work. Not for everybody. Now, out of 3,000 people, I don't know how many people were there total. Maybe there were 70,000 people in the square and only 3,000 of them came. But I know that, that, that a, a significant number came because Peter was direct. And a second thing that you'll notice, that Peter was aggressive. Now, I wanna, we, we read this text, and we read that Peter finished his sermon and, and, and then gave his conclusion and people came. And that's how we read this. But I want you to notice that Peter didn't finish his sermon. 
Peter was speaking, he gets to this point where he, te he tells them, listen, this is what you've done. And the people say, all right, shut up. And just get to your conclusion and tell us what we have to do. Well, that, that's not where it ends, of course. Because some people respond, apparently. Now, <clears throat> what, what Peter does is the equivalent of, of what I grew up with, which was singing, uh, you know, 50 verses of just how I, uh, just, just as I am. And, 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 you know, no one's coming down the aisle. We're, they're going to keep singing until one of you comes down the aisle. Someone please step out and make this preacher happy because we're going to be here till two in the afternoon. And that's what I grew up with. Well, you know, that's kind of what Peter does here because it says with many other words. We kind of think like this was like uh, Peter finished. People came down and they said, okay, time to go uh, to lunch. Now, let's go to lunch. Because church is over. And then it's that what happened. This could have been an all-day affair where he's like, okay, I, I didn't, you guys interrupted my sermon. I wasn't done yet, and I'm going to finish my sermon now, and I'm going to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on until I'm pretty sure that no one else is going to respond. We have this idea, uh, because of, of the way we've been raised, that, that you shouldn't be aggressive. And I, I, I know that, that there's a... Um, a feeling that we don't want to force people to, to become Christians. That, that we want their faith to be this, especially when we're dealing with our kids. Uh, we're talking with kids. Kids will listen to you. And if you put pressure on your kids, they'll do what you say, even if, they don't, if, even if it's not theirs. And, and so we kind of want to uh, not do that. But at the same time, we look at Peter. And Peter's saying, listen... You live in a wicked culture, in a wicked time, and you need to get yourself out of it. It's dangerous. And so, he has some aggressive advertising. We don't want people to adopt our faith just because we force them to or compel them to. My mom... <clears throat> became a Christian. She was a Jehovah's Witness. And after she became a Christian, uh, she was very gung-ho about it. And I think within a year, my grandma and my grandpa and my uncle Ed were, were, had, been, had been baptized. And, um, so, interestingly enough, my aunt had not. I don't think she did. Uh, and she's the one that's now married to a Church of Christ preacher, which is strange. Um, and, and those first three have, have left or had left the church at some point. And I don't, I don't remember which. Uh, they were still kind of religious. And I remember talking with my mom some time ago, and, and she thought that maybe she shouldn't have been that aggressive. I mean, maybe, and she was kind of expressing doubts about this. I don't know if I said anything then or if I just kind of... Um, you know, but I, I've thought about that conversation since, and, and she's listening to this, so, um, well, so, so I guess this is my advice now if she's listening now. But the idea that, that 
she shouldn't have been so aggressive. Maybe something the, the different would have happened. Maybe they, well, if she was not aggressive, they might never have been become Christians. What they did as as adults and, and, and changing their mind, that, that's up to them. And I'm not here to, to say what happened to them after that or what, how, God, that's God's to deal with. And, and I'll let God deal with all that because he's a little bit smarter than me and he's a righteous, he's a righteous judge. But um, I know one thing is for sure. They have a whole lot better chance having made the adult decision to become Christians than they would had she not pushed a little bit. One preacher told me this way. He said, you know, Satan's not really too afraid to put pressure on us to sin. Culture isn't afraid to put pressure on us to do the things that we should not do and get involved with the things that really aren't appropriate. They're putting all kinds of pressure on us. Why can't we at least put a little finger on the scale going the other way? It's aggressive advertising. And Peter's all in. <clears throat> now he's not rude. And he's not uh, harsh, I don't think, uh, to, the, to the standpoint of other than being simply honest. The truth is sometimes harsh in and of itself. I don't think he adds anything to it. He just says, listen, you're murderers. And, and I'm going to tell you, you need to do something. And I'm going to tell you all afternoon, you need to do something. It's urgent. Well, I want to look to another word, uh, another phrase you've heard. <clears throat> you've heard of best practices. Best practices is a, is a phrase. And what it means is uh, we're going to look at what works and what doesn't. And we're going to get rid of the stuff that doesn't. Best practices. Now, this can be wise. This can be, um, you know, th there is a certain wisdom in it. We don't, we, we've said many times, um, and, and it's, a, it's a cliche that insanity is beating your head against the wall. I mean, it's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. We don't want to do that. At the same time, if something is specifically endorsed by God as, as a means, then, then we're not to discard that regardless of the result. Now, some things aren't mentioned in the Bible. We have maneuverability, but um, we, we have some problems with best practices. First of all, best practices tend to have what we would call a recency bias. We, we look at what just happened. So my son came home. Let me explain recency biases. It's kind of, you probably... It's self-explanatory, but recency biases. My son coming home from college, and he went out to see uh, Spider-Man, uh, whatever Spider-Man is out now, uh, Spider-Man the 67th, and with with his aunt and uncle, and and they were gonna. He came back. And he said, "This is the best movie of all time." Now I haven't seen it, so I said, "No, it's not. I, I don't care." It's not the best movie of all time, but he's got a very limited, you know, he just watched it, so it's the best movie of all time. Now, probably 20 years from now, uh, actually probably a lot, a lot sooner than that, probably by the end of, you know, this school year, we go, yeah, no, it's not the best movie of all time. I liked it, but, but 
what just happened is very recent in our mind, and so it's fresh, and, and we put a lot of weight on that. My, uh, my brother-in-law uh, is a preacher. He just became a preacher in Sacramento. <clears throat> and, and he's a little bit younger, and so he's in the, the technological kind of phase of, of life, a little bit younger. And, uh, and, and so he wanted to do some promoting some, some of their events and things going on through Facebook. Well, that's a money thing. <clears throat> well, the elders there are a little bit older. When I say older, uh, what uh, he described to me is they're not from the previous generation or the previous generation from that. They're, they're older, older. And uh, so he said, is, it, money is a big deal. And he spent money on an ad and a bunch of people didn't walk in the next Sunday, so they said, well, I don't know if we want to keep on promoting ads. You know, that's recency bias. That's, that's best practices that they're doing without knowing the, um, that particular buzzword. So their buzzword would, would be what, what used to be called pragmatic. That was the buzzword from a long time ago. A very pragmatic approach is to, to let's not do that. It was ineffective. But it only waits what just happened. It doesn't say, well, let's, let's do this a while and see if it's going to gain traction or do something. Uh, especially with advertising. That's the way advertising works. But that's a different discussion. So best practices is not always the right, the right thing to do because it takes time. What impressive things does Christ shrug at? We look at things and we say, well, this is, this is a good practice. And Christ goes, eh. Uh, I want to look at Acts chapter 2. Stay right in Acts chapter 2 and we're going to back up to the beginning. This is when the day of Pentecost had come, verse 1. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them a voice. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard speaking in their own language. And they were all amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, aren't these who speak Galileans? How do we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And so on and so forth. All the different... Nations that they came from. This is amazing. And, and so we look at some things that are amazing. And we like the dramatic. The dramatic is to us a good practice. It's a best practice. Dramatic things. Now I can't do that. And that's actually an important point uh, that we're going to get to. Uh, but <clears throat> we, li 